0: Our Old Testament reading comes from Psalm 27. It's on the overhead. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? When the wicked came against me to eat up my flesh, my enemies and foes, they stumbled and fell. Though an army may encamp against me, my heart shall not fear. Though war may rise against me, in this I will be confident. One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek. That I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple. For in the time of trouble, he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret place of his tabernacle, he shall hide me. He shall set me high upon a rock. And now my head shall be lifted up above my enemies, all around me. Therefore, I will offer sacrifices of joy in his tabernacle. I will sing, yes, I will sing praises to the Lord. Hear, O Lord. When I cry with my voice, have mercy also upon me and answer me. When you said, Seek my face, my heart said to you, Your face, Lord, I will seek. Do not hide your face from me. Do not turn your servant away in anger. You have been my help. Do not leave me nor forsake me, O God of my salvation. When my father and my mother forsake me, when the Lord, then the Lord will take care of me. Teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. Do not deliver me to the will of my adversaries, for false witnesses have risen against me, and such as breathe out, of, out violence. I would have lost heart unless I had believed that I would see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. Wait on the Lord, be of good courage, and he shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. And we need these words. And then uh, Romans eight, eighteen through 89. For I consider that the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory which shall be revealed in us. For the earnest expectation of the creation eagerly waits for the revealing of the sons of God. For the creation was subjected to futility, not willingly, but because of him who subjected it in hope For we were saved in this hope. But hope that is seen is not hope. For why does one still hope for what he sees? But if we hope for what we do not see, we eagerly wait for it with perseverance. Likewise, the Spirit also helps in our weaknesses. For we do not know what we should pray for as we ought. But the Spirit himself makes intercession for us with groanings which cannot be uttered. Now he who searches the hearts knows what the mind of the Spirit is, because he makes intercession for the saints according to the will of God. And we know that all things work together for good to those who love God, to those who are the called according to his purpose. For whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Moreover, whom he predestined, these he also called. Whom he called, these he also justified. And whom he justified, these he also glorified. What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us?
1: Good evening, loved ones. It's good to see you this evening. Shall we pray? Thank you for your word, O Lord. Thank you for how clearly and how wonderfully we see you in your word, the excellency of your being, and all your wonderful works. Truly, you are a God rich in mercy, abundant in grace, quick to hear, quick to save. And so, we look to you and we ask that you once again would bless us, speak to us, build us up, grow us in our Lord Jesus Christ, give us all that we so desperately need from your very word. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. We're well, just given. Current events unfolding this week. Um, as I was working away on the other sermon, uh, Psalm 27 was on my mind, and um, I hesitate to, you know, change the change the scripture for this sermon frequently. Uh, I don't think we want to be responding to current events all the time, or the whatever the culture is talking about all the time. I think we want to be talking about what God talks about in his word and sticking to that and working through that. But there are times when I think it's appropriate to say, well, here's something that's going on that seems quite consequential. What does God have to say about it? And I thought that would be fitting for this evening. So Psalm 27 is the sermon text. and Scott read it already. The question question I want to start with is, um, how do we respond with courage, in the face of danger and uncertainty? How do we respond with courage in the face of danger and uncertainty? You know, we, we see this, right? We, we see the danger, we see the uncertainty. It's not close to home for us right now, but well, we can see it. Others are going through it. And we've been through our own measure of danger and uncertainty, whether that's been uh, the, the uncertainty of the past couple of years and the events that have unfolded all over the world, including here, or the, just the dangers and uncertainties of our own lives. Man is born to trouble as the sparks fly upward, the Scripture says, right? Danger and uncertainty is part and parcel of, of life, right? Whatever it might be, if it's a war or if it's, you know, uh, getting, getting sick, uh, getting, a, getting a disease of some kind, uh, whatever it might be. So how do we respond with courage to these things? That's what we want, right? Courage in the face of these sorts of things. We read of these heroes of the faith. We see Moses standing before Pharaoh saying, let my people go to the strongest human that there is. Telling him, let my people go. We marvel at his courage. We see David before Goliath. We marvel at that. How can he be so brave before Goliath? We see Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego standing before Nebuchadnezzar. Filled with faith and courage. We see Esther standing before Ahasuerus saying, if I perish, I perish. And we want that faith. We want that kind of courage in the face of even extremities like they were going through. We marvel at it and and we wonder, what's the secret to it? God's word says, here it is, Psalm 27. We could turn to various psalms, but this one speaks in particular about where courage comes from. Uh, This psalm is a declaration of confidence in God in the midst of difficulty and danger. It's a psalm that's spoken by David in the midst of much fear, uh, but also much faith. Uh, The psalm has two main sections. The first is verses 1 to 6. In these verses, we see the cause of courage. And then second, in verses 7 to 14, we'll see the cry of courage. So first, verses 1 through 6, the cause of courage. As the psalm begins, David is in the middle of some kind of danger. We're not told what it is, but his focus is not on the danger that he's in right now. As he starts the psalm, he's he's not looking at the things that are pressing around him and the things that could be making him afraid. Instead, he's looking beyond those things to the Lord. That's what faith does. It looks beyond the horizon of present experience to, 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 to God and what He's said and what He's promised. He's looking at who God is. He's looking at everything God has done for him in the past. He's looking ahead to what God has promised to do for him in the future. He starts in verse one with a stirring statement of faith. He says, the Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the strength of my life. Of whom shall I be afraid? Right, he's saying, name one thing I should be afraid of. Is there anything I should be afraid of? If the Lord is my strength, my stronghold, my refuge, my shelter, my salvation, my security. The Lord, right that's the covenant name of God. The Lord who's bound himself to David, who's sworn a promise to him to be his God. David is saying, that is my God. And he's my fortress and my shelter. What can happen to me? that He does not will to happen to me. He looks at God. He sees God is all-powerful. There's no lack of strength at all in God. Nothing that, can, nothing that can throw a wrench in God's plans. Nothing that can stop His plan. He knows that God is all-powerful. He also knows God is completely committed to blessing Him and, and doing Him good and, and doing what's absolutely best for Him. He knows these two things about God. He is is strong, and He is committed to me in steadfast love. He's the Creator, the Sustainer of all things, and He is my Redeemer and my Covenant Lord. He's he's on my side. He's for me. David knows that. So this is where his courage is coming from, first of all. It's not coming from his own guts, his own willpower and, and just... Uh, just uh, determination in the face of danger. No, that's not at all where his confidence and courage is coming from. It's, it's coming from the fact that he knows that God is for him. And there's nothing that can challenge that. Is this true for us too? Was this something special for David? Right. He's a special guy. He's got a special position. Um, the Lord has, has, has a very unique relationship with him. He's unique. I'm not David. I'm not the Lord's anointed, the king of Israel. David had God come to him, make him a, make him a promise that he would be king. The Lord um, sent Samuel to go anoint David with oil, set him apart as God's chosen king for the people. And so David, David knows, I am the Lord's choice to be king. So maybe that's what gives him this extra measure of courage. Right? Maybe, maybe that's not true in the same way for me as it was him. I'm not the king. I haven't been anointed to be the king. So maybe maybe David's uh, reliance on God and his assurance that God is with him and for him is unique to him, but this doesn't mean at all that um, we don't have the same confidence that David has. David wrote this psalm not just for himself. He wrote it out of his own experience, but then he gives it to Israel as their song. This is the song of the whole people of Israel because David's their king. He gives it to them and all of them share in his experience and take it up as their own cry of faith that they can own this as well. God is my God. And of course, David isn't only writing here of himself and he's not only writing this as a psalm for the people of Israel to sing encourage. He's also writing of Christ here. The psalm is true first and foremost of, of Christ himself. These are are his words. He is the Lord's anointed, the great king of Israel. He is the one who uh, who can say the Lord is my light and, and my strength. He's my salvation. Of whom shall I be afraid? He has that special promise of the Lord's particular blessing and protection. And he's our king. And we're united to him. By faith, and that means that whatever God has promised him, he's also promised me. If the Lord is with Christ, he is with me, if I'm trusting Christ. Everything God promised to do for the Lord Jesus, he does for his people who are in the Lord Jesus. And so if we say, well, is this psalm, is the protection that's promised in the psalm, is that true for me also? The answer is yes. Yes. If we're trusting in the Lord Jesus Christ, absolutely yes. Unambiguously, yes. God is our refuge and our strength. He is our security. Does that mean that uh, we won't face things that uh, won't try to threaten us, though? Does that mean that God gives us this special protection and that means we don't have to worry? There's nothing ever that's going to be painful or difficult at all. We sort of, uh, you know sheltered by God from those things. Well, no, not at all. (laughs) David is surrounded by dangers. Lots of things are going to try to threaten him and try to uh, break through God's protection of him. And David describes that in verse 2. Quite graphically, the wicked are trying to eat up his flesh. They're surrounding him. He pictures them kind of like ravenous dogs uh, who are trying to destroy him and tear him apart. And in verse 3, he describes a scenario where an army is encamped against him. It's not just a hypothetical. He's not just thinking of what kind of dangerous situation might happen. This is something that has happened to him. He's been pursued by armies, hunted in the wilderness. He's had armies encamp against him. He's He's had war come against him. So the apparently obvious answer to his question in verse 1, where he says, whom shall I fear? The the obvious answer would be, well, there's a lot you should fear. You should fear these enemies that are trying to attack you, these armies that are trying to destroy you. Whom shall I fear? There's a lot to fear, David. David should be terrified from, from an earthly perspective. But David says, my heart shall not fear. Though war arise against me, he says, yet I shall be confident. He's confident because even though all this danger is coming against him, all this is threatening him, he knows the Lord is on his side, the Lord is his refuge, and that nothing can challenge that. This is the same thing that Paul describes in Romans 8, which we also read earlier. In Romans 8.31 and following, Paul writes, What shall separate us from the love of God? He asked that question, and and uh, the answer, apart from faith, is that lots of things seem to be able to threaten us and threaten to separate us from the love of Christ. And Paul lists out all these things that are going to try to separate us from the love of God in Christ. He says, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation, or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword? As it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. So yes, there's all kinds of things that are going to try to bring down the Christian. But the truth is that although there's so much that's going to try, none of them will succeed. None of them can separate us from the love of God. Once God has laid hold of you, He doesn't let go. Once you're in His hand, He doesn't let go. Once you're under His protection, He does not let you ever leave it. And Paul points here to the fact, in Romans 8, he points us to the fact that Jesus died and was raised for us. That's the bedrock of Paul's confidence and his courage. Christ was was delivered over to death and he was raised for us so Paul says if God did that is he ever going to let anything happen to us for our ultimate condemnation and ruin if God went to those lengths to save us surely he's not going to give up on us or let other things overwhelm us so loved ones there may be all kinds of things in your life that are currently or, or have in the past or will in the future threatened, it seems, to separate you from the love of God in Christ uh, that, that can tempt you to fear. But the Lord is your stronghold. And so though all those things come against you, you have perfect security and confidence in the Lord that he will keep you. So that's where courage comes from. That's the cause of courage, the first part that we see here. It's that the Lord himself is our stronghold, no matter what else might come against us. The Lord is our stronghold, and nothing can challenge him or overcome him. Now, after David has described his response to these fearful circumstances that he's faced in the past, he tells us why it is that the Lord is his refuge. He tells us that the courage he has comes from knowing the Lord, from, from knowing, and it comes from a life of seeking God, in his house, we look. Look with me at verse four. He says, "One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in His temple." So David's courage and this faith he has in God is not spring out of nowhere. It is not something that uh, grew quickly. This is something that he has been steeping himself in. This is long, slow growth that's led to this strong faith he has. He's not just suddenly courageous, out of nowhere when danger comes. Um, he doesn't just have a sudden confidence in God without any history with God. Right? He says, I have desired one thing. I have made my life from my youth until now, a life of desiring one thing. Knowing God. Walking with God. Loving Him. Worshipping Him. Living in His house. Seeking Him. Seeking His beauty. Inquiring in His temple. This has been his all-controlling purpose. And he has walked with the Lord now for many years. So that when the danger comes, he's filled with faith and he's filled with Courage. That's why why his courage in the face of these uh, dangers is so settled and so confident. Because his heart has been welded to God. It has grown up with God. It's intertwined with God and his promises. He knows God. He knows the bonds of covenant love that the Lord has for him and that he has for the Lord. He has a long history with God. He knows him. That's where this courage is coming from. So he goes on, verse 5. He knows that when the next day of trouble comes, God will deliver him again. God will hide him and shelter him and bring him into the tabernacle. He says in verse 6, he adds to the picture, David will be there worshiping God, safe from all his enemies, victorious over all of them, rejoicing in God, singing his praises. So David's confidence is that the next time this happens, the next time the day of trouble comes, God God will continue to shelter me. And keep me. And he knows that at the end, er, he will end up in the house of the Lord. That will be his permanent dwelling place. So similar to what he says over at the end of Psalm 23. I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. David knows there's nothing that can call that into question. He will dwell in God's house forever. True of Christ as well, isn't it? Christ. Great David's greater son, he is uh, surrounded by dangers in his life. He's betrayed, he's crucified, he's killed, he's buried. But the Lord is with him. The Lord protects him and delivers him through all those things and brings him up from the dead. Uh, Christ ascends into heaven, and then he dwells in the house of the Lord forever. The Lord Jesus Christ is there already. That was, that was the, 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 the thing that drove him and gave him courage, knowing that he would be raised from the dead and ascend into glory. Uh, exalted above all his enemies, victorious over them, completely secure from every danger. And our confidence is that if Christ has gone there, we're going there too. And so David's words here, that is his hope, that he will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. That's our hope too. So danger comes. Questions come up. Uncertainty comes. I know where my dwelling place is. I know where my home is. I know where I'm ending up the house of the Lord. So loved ones, this is what causes David's courage. And this is what is the, 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 the root and the life and the sap of our courage. These truths of who God is and his promises to us and the certainty of our salvation. So what do we do? Maybe you say, well, I'm not facing much Uncertainty right now, things are going quite well. Dwell in the house of the Lord. Inquire in His temple. Build that, uh, that sweet, deep relationship with Him. Feed on His gospel. Nurture your heart on His word and His promises. This is the stuff that will strengthen your spine of faith when the dangers come. Because they will. When the uncertainty comes, because it will. This is the stuff that will keep your soul firm and confident and trusting in the Lord. This is the cause of David's courage. This is what is the cause of Christ's courage as he faced his humiliation for us. And this is what can give you and I courage too. So that's the first part of the psalm, the cause of courage. Let's look now at the cry of courage, our second heading. The cry of courage, verses 7 through 14. So David's faith, this courageous faith we see in the psalm, doesn't only have a cause. It also has a cry. It has a prayer. And that's what we see as the psalm turns to this new section. In verse 7, David shifts from the present circumstances. Uh, he shifts from, from contemplating the security of, of, of his place in God. He shifts from, from considering his cause of courage to considering his present circumstances. He's applying what he's just said in the first six verses to his present circumstance. He moves from the deep calm of courageous faith to the battle lines of present difficulty. He moves from meditating on who God is to crying out to God to be who he is for him. Uh, We don't get many uh, details of the the particular danger David's facing. Um, We just get glimpses of it. Uh, We see lots of enemies that are around him, and uh, few friends. And his attention here is on prayer and crying out to the Lord. So verse 7, we see here that real courage cries out to God. Courage is not self-sufficient or self-sustaining. It cries out to God. David sounds desperate, doesn't he, in verse 7. Hear, O Lord, when I cry with my voice. Have mercy also upon me and answer me. So David, as he faces whatever it is he's facing, has no confidence that he is equipped and capable to handle this in himself. He knows he can't handle it. He knows he's not up to the task. He's crying out to God. Hear me. Help me. He seeks God's mercy. And that should be our spiritual instinct. Crying out to God. Danger comes, we run to Him. Uncertainty comes, we run to Him. Anxiety springs up in our hearts, we run to him, right? This is, uh, kids are such a good uh, example to us here. A kid gets hurt, and he runs crying out for mommy and daddy, right? He's scared, he runs looking for mom and dad. And that's, that's the Christian life. We are to run to our heavenly Father and seek his grace and help. We should be living lives of seeking, seeking God's face. Uh, as, as we said earlier, when difficulty and danger should, uh, w- when they come, we should already have hearts that are, you know, tending and, and inclined with a propensity already to run to him. The natural response of someone who has already trained their heart to seek God's face when danger comes is to then run to God and plead for help. So, loved ones, I'd encourage you to, to follow David's good example here. When fears, anxieties come, run to the Lord for help. It's so tempting. Anxiety and fear and uncertainty, these things uh, can, can uh, tempt us to fix our attention on them and not look anywhere else. They can just grab hold of our attention and not let go. When, and, and, and it's good to look at the situation and think wisely and carefully through it and how do I need to handle this and address this, but... Don't don't become obsessive with it. What needs to capture your attention even more than the circumstances is the Lord himself. The classic illustration of this, of course, is Peter getting out of the boat. He sees Christ there um, walking to them on the water and Peter steps out of the boat. And he's fixing his eyes on Christ and he's walking on the water. And of course, as soon as he takes his eyes off Christ and looks at the wind and the waves around him, he starts to sink. Right, and that's what happens when we take our eyes off the Lord and we start fixing all our attention on the, the, the anxiety-inducing circumstances around us instead of looking at the Lord. So courage cries out. Courage prays. That's the first thing under this heading. But what does David pray for? He's praying. What does he pray for? You see him praying for three things. Verse 9. He prays that God would not hide his face from him. We hear the language of covenant blessing here in the background, right? Think of of the covenant blessing Aaron placed on the people. The Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. And David is claiming that for himself. He's saying, Lord, covenant Lord, you've made a promise to me. You've given your blessing to me. You've said that you will not turn your face from me. Please keep that promise now. Do what you've promised to do. Bless me as you promised to bless me. He, God's face represents his favor, his smile, his grace, and his presence. And that's what David wants. He wants God with him. We see this in verse 9. At the end of the verse, he says, Do not leave me or forsake me. David demands the presence of God. He demands it. He doesn't... Uh, no, nothing else matters to him beyond this. It, it doesn't matter if anyone else abandons him, if everyone else abandons him, in the end, if he has the Lord God Himself with him. He says at the end of verse, uh, he says in verse 10, that even if his father and his mother should abandon him, even if the, the, the dearest people on earth should abandon him, he knows the Lord is with him. The Lord will take care of him. He uh, hangs on to the promise that God made Joshua. Joshua chapter 1, verse 5, God is preparing Joshua for courageous leadership, leading the people into the promised land. And the Lord says to Joshua, I will never leave you nor forsake you. And David has that promise in mind. He takes that promise and he turns it into a prayer. Do not leave me. Do not forsake me. Loved ones, though everyone else abandoned you, the Lord has bound himself to you. And he won't leave you. He will not leave you or forsake you. He will never leave you or forsake you. His love is better than the love of a husband or a wife. He's the friend who sticks closer than a brother. Wonderful hymn, how firm a foundation. The last stanza. The soul that in Jesus has leaned for repose, I will not, I will not desert to his foes. That soul, though all hell, should endeavor to shake, I'll never, no, never, no, never forsake. The Lord has promised he will never forsake you. I wonder if these words of Psalm 27 were on the mind of Christ as he suffered on the cross. I'll never leave you nor forsake you. We know another psalm is on Jesus' mind on the cross. Just a few psalms before this one, Psalm 22 my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from hearing me? Um, in that moment on the cross, Jesus, in a sense, had become God forsaken. He, was, he, was, he had God turn his face from him, as we sing in the hymn. He uh, was under the wrath and curse of God, not for his sin, but for ours. For all our failure to believe and trust, all our failure and sin against God, our rebellion against Him. See, we deserve to be there on the cross, forsaken by God under His wrath, without His blessing or His favor or His presence. But we have this wonderful promise that He will never leave us or forsake us because He forsook His Son in that moment instead. It's glorious that we have this, this wonderful promise. And if we're doubting the, 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 the commitment of God to never forsake us or leave us, we should look there and see his commitment to us in Christ, forsaken for our sakes. That's the first thing David prays. Do not forsake me. Be with me. He demands God's presence. Make that your prayer in the face of uncertainty. That's what will fuel courage. Do not leave me. Do not forsake me. Second thing he prays for is in verse 11. He says, teach me your way, O Lord, and lead me in a smooth path because of my enemies. He, he wants God to be his teacher and his guide. He wants him to teach him how to walk and where to walk. He wants him to teach him his law, his commandments, so that David knows where God wants him to go, what God wants him to do. He has this, this sense. He needs a sure-footed guide to follow here. And uh, loved ones, the Lord is the one who is this guide and this teacher for us. He's given us his word as the, the map for us. He's given us his, his word to guide us through this dangerous pilgrimage that we are on. Uh, we have these enemies around us, just like David. Uh, it's a dangerous business stepping out your door. Uh, there, are, there are dangers all around us in the Christian life. Who's going to keep our feet from slipping? And how will he do it? The Lord will keep us i will do it with His Word. Psalm 119 puts this so well, verse 105, Your Word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. So don't take a step without seeking Him to lead you and guide you and looking for His Word, for wisdom on it. That's the second part of the prayer here. So he prays first for God's presence and then he prays for God to be His teacher and His leader. And then the third thing he prays for is deliverance from his enemies. All these people are attacking him. People are slandering him, spreading lies about him. People are breathing out violence against David. He's a hunted man. If God doesn't deliver him, he knows he's a dead man. So he prays, deliver me, save me from these enemies. His prayer, in essence, is the same petition the Lord taught us in the Lord's Prayer. Deliver us from evil. Bring down all those who are against me. There, there are, as we said, there are, there, we have enemies. We have the dangers of, of uh, the world, the flesh, and the devil, and they'd absolutely overrun us in an instant if it weren't for the grace of God. So make this your prayer as well. Lord, deliver me from these enemies. Keep me from them. Protect me from them and, and destroy them. Don't let sin have a hold on me. Don't let Satan be, 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 be strong against me. And, and don't let me be afraid of the temptations of the world. We're of that final enemy, death itself. God has shown us such grace and mercy, loved ones, and given us such glorious promises that He will never leave us or forsake us, that He'll strengthen us all the way to the end and bring us home to Himself. And we've seen that He's done this for us because of Christ. And so we have every cause for courage. We have no cause for fear. Right? If, if we're looking with the eyes of faith, we do not have any reason to be afraid because we seek God, who He is and what He's done for us in our Savior. And so David, at the end of the psalm, in verse 14, he turns from considering these, uh, his cause for courage and he turns from his prayer for courage uh, and he preaches to himself a final word. He preaches to us a final word. Wait on the Lord. Be of good courage, and He shall strengthen your heart. Wait, I say, on the Lord. So loved ones, in the face of fear, uncertainty, anxiety, and danger, take it. Preach it to yourself. Tell your soul, soul, wait on the Lord. Trust in the Lord. Look at the Lord. Take courage and strength from that. The Lord is the one, loved ones, who alone can strengthen us for this courage in the face of danger let's pray together lord we thank you for your word for your promises we thank you for your goodness and your grace we pray now that you would give us indeed the courage that we need and that you would help us to walk faithfully before you steadfast uh, seeking your face together we ask this in jesus name amen